Well, all right, hey, before we talk about what, uh, what we just saw in the video and we get into the meat of uh, what we're going to study today, I want to put this book out in front of you, okay? We've been in this series on Galatians the past couple of weeks called The Road to Freedom, and since we're having to pack this series in uh, to a seven, eight-week time frame, we're not able to cover every single verse of the book, and so um, this is a book that I am reading and studying as I write and pray and prepare for this message series each week. It's a book called, excuse me, um, a book called Galatians for You, and it's written by uh, a pastor in New York City named Timothy Keller. This is a fantastic uh, resource on the book of Galatians. It's very readable. It's easy to understand. And, uh, and Tim Keller, he presents some great questions throughout the book that will cause you to wrestle and to think through some of the things that we're teaching here from stage. So I would encourage you, write this down, Galatians for You by Tim Keller. Type it in the notes on your phone. Go home to Amazon and look this thing up. You can probably get it for 12 to 15 books, and I trust that it will be helpful to you as it's been helpful to me, all right? Good stuff. Okay, well, let's grab our Bibles. Let's go Galatians chapter 3, or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, grab it. Um, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. So in the video clip that you just saw, um, the mindset that we've been trying to blow up, the belief that we've been trying to kill the past couple of weeks, it was illustrated pretty clearly and, and pretty perfectly. And here's that mindset and here's that belief. It's that belief that traditional religion has built into some of us, which says this, that if you are going to be accepted by God, approved of by God, loved by God, there are certain things, certain expectations, certain commands, certain rules that you have to obey, follow, and live up to. And if you live up to those things, then God will be pleased with you. But if you fall short, then God's going to be mad at you. He's going to be angry with you. And those people alive in the world that do a much better job at living out those commands and rules, like traditional religion tells us that those people have almost a right to come into lives of people who aren't as good at following all that stuff as they are and to shame them, condemn them, and make them feel guilty enough to try and actually start living a better life. Now, what we've said over the past few weeks is this, is that mindset... It's just not biblical, right? I mean, and we've been pressing into this amazing, unbelievable, almost too good to be true news about Jesus that we in church call the gospel. It's this news of Jesus coming into the world as God in flesh, living a perfect life, and then laying his life down in our place for our sins so that we could be loved and accepted by God. This amazing news that tells us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later to defeat sin, death, and hell on our behalf, and there's nothing we have to do in order to earn those things because Jesus has already done all the work for us. So what that tells us is this. If we want to be approved of, if we want to be accepted by God, loved by God, there's nothing we have to do. Nothing. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to follow a list of rules. We don't have to be some amazing, good, moral person so that God can see us as lovable and acceptable. All we simply have to do is to believe in and have faith in this news that tells us what Christ has done for us on our behalf. And the Bible tells us that when we accept Jesus as our Savior and when we take hold of his plan to rescue us from sin, death, hell, shame, guilt, condemnation, that God fully accepts us totally, perfectly, and forever. Nothing we have to do. 
Amazing, amazing news. So um, the question that we want to wrestle with this morning, though, is this. If that's true, if there is nothing that we have to do in order to make ourselves lovable, if there's nothing we have to do to earn God's grace and his acceptance, here's the question, then why in the world did God give us this book full of commands, laws, and rules? Right? It's confusing, right? Like some of us are probably here and our view of the Bible, maybe we're new to this whole church Jesus thing. Our view of the Bible is God gave us this so that we could try and do this stuff and prove ourselves to him. But listen to me, that's simply not true. And I know it's confusing for some of us. It was confusing for the Christians that Paul was writing the letter to Galatians to in all of these different churches. And Paul does us all a huge, huge favor. And in Galatians 3, he sets out to answer this question of why in the world did God give us the law? Why did he give us all these commands and rules if it's really as easy as believing in Jesus for our salvation? Now, listen, I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to give you a disclaimer this morning, okay? What we're getting ready to walk through is meaty, all right? And it's thick, and it can be confusing. Um, so here's why I'm telling you this. If you want to understand what we're getting ready to dive into the, to today, um, it's one of those mornings we're going to have to stay with me like the whole time, all right? Or you're going to leave, and you're going to go, I don't know what that dude said. So can you stay with me today? Yes? All right, cool. Well, let's go Galatians 3. We're going to pick up, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. Here's what Paul writes to these churches in Galatia. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Nick touched on this that last week, that we're justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That word justified, it refers to God treating you and I as sinless, perfect people. And Paul's saying, we don't become those kind of people before God by the law, by following commands, by following rules, because the Bible tells us the righteous shall live by faith. But the law, it's not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Are you confused yet? It's a lot of words, right? Some of us are going, dude, I don't know what you just read. Don't worry, we're going to explain it, all right? Here's what Paul does in Galatians 3, and I love this, and it's reflected in what we just read together. He goes Old Testament on these Galatian Christians. He starts quoting Old Testament passages of Scripture, and you may not have realized it, but we just read four different verses from the Old Testament. I'll tell you about those in a minute. And Paul also brings up Abraham from the Old Testament. You know who Abraham is, yes? Some of us. If you don't know who Abraham is, he is the father of the Jewish faith. For the Jewish people, Abraham is a hero. He is where the Jewish people began. And so here's why Paul goes Old Testament. Here's why he quotes the Old Testament and brings up Abraham. Because if you remember, we've been telling you the past couple weeks, there were these men called the Judaizers, these Jewish men coming into the churches in Galatia and telling non-Jewish people, that if they wanted to be loved by God, accepted by God, forgiven by God, set free from sin, death, and hell, that it was going to take more than them simply believing in Jesus. They told them that if they wanted God to accept them, that they needed to also become Jewish. So, so listen to me. That means 
that that was going to require these people to keep the entire Old Testament law. All 613 commands that God gave Moses to pass along to the Jewish people for them to follow. Now, Paul is a really smart guy, okay? He's smarter than me. He's smarter than all of us in the room. And so he starts bringing up these Old Testament passages, and he points to the father of the Jewish faith to show these Galatian Christians how neither the Old Testament nor Abraham support the message that the Judaizers are preaching. All right, now I'll show you what I mean. Um, Paul first points to Abraham in verses 6 through 9 of Galatians 3. We didn't read those, but he, he brings up Abraham in these verses. And he points out the fact that Abraham, when you read about him in the Old Testament, um, he is shown to be a man of faith, all right? And if you want to go read these passages this week, go check out Genesis 12, go check out Genesis 15, and here's what you see in these chapters. You see God coming to Abraham, who was then known as Abram, and he makes Abraham some pretty amazing promises, all right? Here's what he tells him. He says, Abraham, I'm going to use you to be the father of a great nation of people. Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. I'm gonna be your God, you guys are gonna be my people, and then he says, and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Now that's referring to a future promise. That's referring to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ was a descendant of Abraham. He was a Jewish man. He, he came from the line of Abraham. And when God promised all peoples of the earth are gonna be blessed because of you, he was referring to the fact that one day he was gonna send a savior into the world who was gonna be one of his descendants and he was gonna rescue people from sin, death, and hell and restore them back to a right relationship with God. Now, listen to me. What God didn't do is this in Genesis 12 and 15. He didn't come to Abraham and say, listen, Abraham, I wanna do all this cool stuff for you, but I've made up a list of rules, okay? And um, if you follow these rules and obey these commands and do all of this stuff, then I'll keep all these promises. But if you get this wrong, bro, I'm out. Like, I'm not coming through on, on what I told you. Instead, God comes to Abraham, listen to me, and the promise that he made to Abraham, those promises were not dependent on Abraham at all. You get that, right? Like, they were dependent on nothing more than the grace of God. God came to Abraham and made him promises, and God simply made promises because he wanted to make them. They were not dependent on what Abraham did or didn't do. Now, here's the crazy thing about these promises that God made to Abraham, all right? When God came and promised Abraham that he was going to use him to be the father of a great nation, Abraham wasn't some, like, early 20s guy, you know, who's sitting there going, I have all the time in the world to father a nation of people. Um, he was 75 years old when God came and said, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Think about that with me, okay? How many 75-year-old men do you know right now that are going around making babies? Like, I, I don't know any, right? And Abraham could have responded in several different ways. He could have said, God, you're out of your mind. Uh, this seems crazy. This is too far-fetched for me. Do you see me? I am beyond baby-making stage. He could have responded in any of those ways. But listen, Genesis 15, 6 tells us how Abraham responded. Look at this. He believed the Lord. How good is that? God comes to him. He makes him a promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. Descendants outnumber the stars of the sky. All the families of the earth can be blessed because of you. And Abraham believed 
God. He believed those promises. And the Bible says that he, God, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, from that point forward, God started treating Abraham as a righteous, perfect, sinless man. How insane is that? Now, Paul, in order to keep making his point, um, I've already told you this, he starts quoting these Old Testament scriptures. And he quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything written in the book of the law, who doesn't follow all the commands of God. He quotes Habakkuk 2, 4, the righteous shall live by faith. He quotes Leviticus 18, 5, and he says, speaking about the law, the one who does them shall live by them. And finally, he quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, that kind of seems like erratic uh, scripture references, but here's why he quotes these. It's because he wants all of us, along with the guys who were reading this back during his time, he wants all of us to understand that every single one of us as individuals, we have to make a decision on how we are going to approach attempting to have a relationship with God. And Paul's point is this, you have two options. You can approach having a relationship with God through living by the law, in other words, by keeping rules, by pursuing morality, by doing certain things, or you can approach God like Abraham, and you can come to him by faith. Now, according to Paul, choosing to approach a relationship with God through the law, through commands and rules and morality, is nothing short of a dead end. And here's why it's a dead end. It's because God is perfect, and he's holy, and he only has relationships with perfect holy people. And so that means if you and I are going to attempt to have a relationship with God through keeping his commands, that we've got to keep every single command he's ever given us perfectly forever. Now listen to me. Can we just all agree this morning that not a single one of us in the room even come close to pulling that off, right? Like, I don't think anyone wants to come on the stage and argue, I'm awesome, like, I've obeyed this book my whole life and will continue to do so, and I'm going to continue to show God why he should love me because I'm perfect and I've done everything he's told me to do. Not a single one of us in here have ever pulled that off. And Paul tells us that when we don't pull off everything that God's given us to pull off perfectly, that we are cursed people. You know what that means? It means we're hopeless. We're trapped in sin. We're going to live hopeless lives here on the earth. We're going to die hopeless deaths. We're going to be trapped in sin as we die. And we're going to spend forever in hell, separated from God as people who fell short of being who he created us to be. So look at me. If you want to walk out of here today and attempt to have a relationship with God through being a certain kind of person or following a certain kind of command or law, look at me. You're in trouble. That's a dead end. None of us can pull that off. But... If you want to approach God in faith, and if you want to approach God like Abraham approached God and believe in the promises of God, if you want to walk out of here today and truly believe that God sent his one and only son into the world to die for your sins so that you could be free from sin, death, and hell and be loved and accepted by him forever, then you can be free from being that person who's always wondering, am I measuring up? Am I good enough? Does God love me? You believe his promise, he fully accepts you forever. And this is exactly what Paul points us to in this passage when he brings up Jesus. You see, in verses 13 and 14, Paul reminds us that at the end of Jesus' life, he became a curse for us. 
He went and he hung on a tree. He, he died on a cross. And as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus became our sin. And he did that so that we could become his righteousness. Let me say it like this, okay? Jesus, while he was here, he lived up to every single command of God perfectly, right? Can we agree to that? Jesus was sinless and perfect in every way. He came to the earth and lived the life that none of us have ever been able to live. And when Christ went to the cross and he died for our sins, he provided us a way to have all of our sins removed from us. But not only that, he provided us an opportunity to place faith in what he did for us in dying for our sins so that God could take his perfect life and credit it to us. I mean, how insane is that? Like, when you come to Jesus and you believe that he can save you from sin, death, and hell, that Jesus literally removes every bit of sin from your life, past, present, and future, and he gives you his perfection so that God forever sees you as a new person, sinless person, perfect person, and he can love and accept you. I mean, that's amazing, right? Absolutely incredible news. He treats us like he treated Abraham, perfect and sinless in every way, and we become his people, and he becomes our God. And as Paul tells us in this passage, he puts his own spirit inside of us, and it gives us his spirit. He gives us the power and the ability to live as the people God created us to be. Now, listen, this is amazing news, but it still doesn't answer our question, right? Why the law? If all that's true about Jesus and about us, then why in the world do we see all these rules, all these commands in Scripture? Let's keep reading, and we'll find the answer, all right? Now, I'm going to tell you, we're going to move slowly through this, and I'm going to try to explain it well so that we all get this, so stay with me, all right? We're going to pick back up in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. That word covenant in this passage is really important, all right? That, that word would have been a familiar word to people during Paul's time, during Jesus' time. A covenant was basically a legal contract between two people, and both parties who signed this contract, they would have had responsibilities, and once the contract was ratified, agreed upon, it couldn't be changed, it couldn't be annulled, it couldn't be broken, all right? So let me just give you a simple example. Like if I came to you and said, dude, I'll cut your grass for 50 bucks, and we drew up this contract and we both signed it. If it was a covenant that we made together, like I couldn't show up and cut your grass and then you go, I'm only going to give you 35. Like you'd be breaking the covenant. You couldn't do that legally. Um, if you paid me $50, then I could not show up on that Tuesday to cut your grass. Okay, are you with me? That's a covenant. Now Paul keeps going and he says, now the promises were made to Abraham, the promises we've already talked about, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to use you to bless the earth. Descendants are going to outnumber the sky, stars in the sky. Now, those promises were made to Abraham, and don't miss this, and to his offspring. The Judaizers and several Jewish people, um, they had this misconception that God's promises to be their God and to bless um, him as their people basically applied to them just because they were Jewish people. So their assumption was, if I am a physical descendant of Abraham, then God's promises are good not only to Abraham, but to me. I'll be his person or his people. He'll be my God. He'll bless me. He'll show me favor. But Paul goes, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. He said, the Bible doesn't say that God made these promises to offsprings, referring to many 
but referring instead to one, to your offspring, who is who? Who's Christ. So don't miss this. Look at me. God made this promise to Abraham to use him to bless all of the earth. And then look at me. He made this promise to Jesus as well. And he said, Jesus, you're going to come from the line of Abraham, and I'm going to send you into the earth, and you are going to restore sinful people back to me, save people from sin, death, and hell. So listen to me. That means when you and I believe in Christ and believe the promise of God to save us through Jesus, that we become spiritual descendants of Abraham, that we become part of Abraham's family, part of God's family. It means that even the Jewish people need Jesus. And that's what Paul's pointing to in this passage. We all need Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're Jewish, Gentile, man, woman, kid. It doesn't matter. We all need Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards. So after God made all these promises to Abraham about how he was going to use him and what he was going to eventually do through Jesus, the law came centuries later through Moses. And Paul says, just because God gave the law, it doesn't annul this covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. The Judaizers held to this belief that the reason God gave the law was for people to follow the law, and that when people followed the law, that's when God would come through on his promise. It wasn't that God made a promise to bless people and be people's God if they came to him in faith. It was, well, God gave Moses a law centuries later so that he could kind of start determining who he was going to call his people and whose God he was really going to be. And so they walked around saying, if you'll just follow all these commands and all these rules, then you'll get to experience the blessing of God. But again, Paul's going, nope, they got it wrong. That's not right. He said, God made a covenant. And he promised Abraham some things. And covenants can't change. And covenants can't be broken. And covenants can't be annulled. He made a promise. And it doesn't depend on what people do or don't do. Let me give you an illustration to help you better understand this, okay? Um, I've got an almost two-year-old daughter at home. Her name is Rowan. And she's a maniac. And she's fun. Uh, we love her. Well, Rowan loves chocolate chip cookies, okay? She eats like a bird. But if you break out chocolate chip cookies, like, she will devour them, okay? So um, imagine that I come to my daughter, and I say, Rowan, listen, Daddy promises in five minutes to give you a chocolate chip cookie. Like, I promise this amazing blessing of just chewy goodness in your mouth and tummy. Five minutes, and I'll give it to you, okay? Now, listen, if I want to be a good dad, a gracious dad, a loving dad, in five minutes, I need to keep that promise, don't I? And it doesn't matter what kind of fits my daughter might pitch in that five minutes. It doesn't matter what she tears apart, tears down, sets on fire. Um, in five minutes, if I want to be a good dad and my daughter, I need to keep my promise and, and give her what I told her. Now imagine another scenario with me. Imagine I come to Rowan and I say, hey baby, I promise in five minutes I'm going to give you a cookie if, if you will clean up your toys. If you'll pick up your baby dolls, if you'll put all the toys in your toy bin in five minutes, if you do those things, I promise I'll give you a cookie. Do you see the difference in the scenarios? One promise is all dependent on the promise. I'm going to bless you because I'm a good dad and I've got something for you and I'm going to give it to you. The other scenario says, 
man, I'm a dad that wants to give you something, but all the pressure and responsibility is on you to gain it. And in this passage, Paul is simply reminding us and these Galatian Christians that God is the first kind of dad I described. That he is not a dad, a loving father who promises to save us, love us, accept us, bless us, give us life if we'll do certain things. But instead he promises to be that kind of dad to us because he's a loving and gracious father. And we simply have to believe in his promise to do those things for us through Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. And Paul's going, the law that God gave Moses... It didn't change the kind of dad that God is to his people. He, he's still the same God. So why the law? Why the law? Well, Paul answers it for us in verse 19. Why then the law? Here, here's what he says. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring. Some of your Bibles might say sin there in place of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Speaking of Jesus again. Um, if you take a note, so I want to give you two reasons that God gave us the law. 613 commands in the Old Testament. Write these things down. First, he gave us all of those commands to point us to our sin. To point us to our sin. Uh, what is this? It's not a trick question. You can answer it. What is it? A mirror. All right. I figured I could blind people in the other services with this, so that's kind of fun. But this is a mirror, right? What's the purpose of a mirror? You get a mirror out to see yourself, to see how good you look, to see how jacked up you look, what you need to fix on your face, right? Um, a mirror shows you a reflection of who you are. Now, imagine this with you. Imagine you're out in the yard working one day, and maybe you're cutting grass, working in the garden, and you, know, you kind of touch your face with nasty hands, and you come in, and you look in the mirror, and you see, wow, my face is really, really dirty. The mirror shows you that. Listen, what you're not going to do after looking in the mirror is take this mirror and start trying to wash your face with it, are you? Like, we would think that you were crazy, and we would commit you because you had lost your mind. And what you're going to do is this, is you're going to look in the mirror and go, wow, my face is really dirty, and you're going to get some soap and some water out, and you're going to wash your face. Listen to me. Um, the Bible tells us that the law, God gave it to us to serve as a mirror for us so that we could look at the law and the commands of God and see who we truly are as sinful people. If you've ever picked up the Bible before and went, I don't think I can do that, listen to me, that's the point. That's the purpose. God gave us the law so that we could see just how short we fall of being the people that he created us to be. And what he never designed the law to do is this. He never designed us to, to look at the law and go, wow, I'm sinful, and then to take the law and to use it to try and clean ourselves up. That would be the equivalent of us trying to wash our face with a mirror. It's a pointless and impossible pursuit. So he gave us the, the law to show us who we are as sinful people. And secondly, listen, he gave us the law to point us to our Savior. He gave us the law to point us to our Savior. He gave us the law, all of these commands, so that by trying to follow it, we would understand that we can't follow it perfectly all the time, and we'd understand just how much we need the grace of God. Um, let me go back to my daughter for just a minute, okay? Um, I'll try to paint this picture. This past weekend, I was down in Jacksonville Beach. I had the opportunity to go speak um, at an event down there, and I appreciate the opportunity to get away 
I had the opportunity as well to take my family with me. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever taken a road trip with a two-year-old. But listen, with my two-year-old, it is horrific. Like, it is a terrible experience. Um, after 30 minutes in the car, she's losing her mind. Mom's losing her mind. I'm going nuts. We hate each other. It's like a bad deal, okay? So I tried to be proactive before this road trip, and I got on MapQuest, and I, uh, I kind of mapped our drive out, and I included several stops at playgrounds and things like that. So hopefully my daughter would get out, and her energy would be zapped, and she would leave us alone. So... We got to this one playground, and my daughter loves slides. And so she, uh, she on this place that had to climb up the set of stairs to get to this slide. Well, she started wanting to do it herself. You know, she's at that age right now where she's stubborn. She doesn't want anybody's help to do what she wants to do. And so um, as she's climbing these steps, I reach my hand out to help her. And she does what she always does. She slaps my hand away. No, 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 no. She wants to do it herself. So I let her. And I'm standing there making sure she doesn't fall. And after two or three times of climbing the steps and going down the slide, she walks back up these steps and gets to the top. And she realizes, I don't think I want to go down this slide again. And so what she does instead is she starts making her way back down the steps. Now, I'm trying to be a good dad, trying to not let my daughter fall and get hurt. So I reach my hand back out to help her. She, again, doesn't want my help, slaps it away. So she makes it down like two of these steps, and then she gets stuck. She realizes, man, what I'm trying to do, I can't do by myself. And so, man, I, I just stood there, and here's what she did. She reached out for me. She reached out for her dad to help her do what she couldn't do on her own. Look at me. God gave us the law so that we would realize we can never do it on our own. He gave us the law so that we would reach out to him as a loving heavenly father for grace, for salvation, for rescue, and believe in his promise that he's such a loving God that he sent his one and only son to save us from all of those things. That's the purpose of the law. So listen, I know there might be some of us in here who are sitting back thinking, well, James, does that mean if I know Jesus, I get to do whatever I want to do now? Like if the purpose of the law is just about making me understand I'm a sinner and I need a savior, do I still have to follow the law? Am I free from having to follow the law? Like, and I think that's a fantastic question and we're gonna close today by just trying to address that question. And so Paul kind of points us to the answer in the next set of verses. So if you still have your Bibles open, look at verses 21 through 26 and this is where we'll end. Paul says, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Do they oppose each other? And he says, absolutely not. The law leads to the grace of God. The law moves us toward the grace and the promises of God. He said, if a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. He's reiterating what we've already said. The law can't save us. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that, by promise, so that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. Salvation is through Jesus and him alone, right? And then he keeps going, and here's what he says. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. He's using language in this verse that would have been descriptive of a military guard guarding like a prisoner. 
okay? Um, And then he goes on and he says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. That word guardian was commonly used during Paul's time to refer to a slave who would serve in someone's house and they would basically be a guardian or a tutor to um, kids of parents, all right? And so um, here's what he goes on to say. But now that faith has come, you're no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. Let me explain this by asking this question. Parents, you have rules for your kids, don't you? You have boundaries, um, you have commands, whatever that might be. Now listen, are the purpose of those commands, rules, laws for you to keep your kid living in your house all the time so that you can rob them of freedom? Like some of you guys are going, dear God, no, get out of my house. Like, (laughs) it is time, right? No, parents, listen. You have rules and commands for your kids, boundaries for your kids, in order to shape them and to help them become responsible adults. Parents, always remember this. You're raising adults. You're not raising kids. You know that, right? So you you have these things in place to help them eventually get to a place where they can live in freedom apart from you and not, like, implode or explode, okay? That's That's the goal, right? Paul's pointing us to this. He says, man, we can kind of think about the law like this. The law was given by God to not only point us to our sin, to point us to our Savior, those are the main things, but to protect us, to guard us, and to lead us toward true spiritual freedom found in Jesus and Him alone. But Paul says after we become sons and daughters of God by believing in Jesus, we get to interact with the law differently than we did before. Um, Don't misquote me. I'm not saying that you get to live your life however you want after you know Jesus. I'm in fact saying the opposite. Listen to me, and I'll keep it simple for us. In the New Testament, John 14, Jesus himself says on more than one occasion that if we are his followers and if we love him, we'll do what he says. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And church, why do we love Jesus? We love Jesus out of our understanding that Jesus first loved us and he gave himself for us as a sacrifice for our sins. We don't love him to earn anything. We love him because we are already loved by him. And so again, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll obey my commands. That's a pretty easy verse to understand. So here's what I would encourage you to do today as a next step after you leave here. I'd encourage you, go home, get this book out. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one before you go today as our free gift to you. Just visit our help center to your right and my left. We'll hook you up. Go home, read this, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and why don't you see what Jesus has to say about how we should live as his followers? Just read it, and if you love him, then do what he says. Now look at me, I want to warn you though, okay? Some of what Jesus Jesus tells us is his followers, it's tough. And it makes some of what appears in the Old Testament law look not so hard. Like you're going to open it, and you're going to read it, and you're going to go, whoa, whoa, love my enemies? Really? You're going to go, hold on, if I'm angry with somebody, that means I'm as guilty as a murderer? Really? These are the words of Jesus. But listen to me. Here's what's beautiful about the commands of Jesus. When you love Jesus and you want to do what he says, it requires you to come back to this every day and to remember what Christ has done for you, that you are a new creation, that you are free from the old you, free from sin, free from death, free from hell. And when you come back and you focus on what Christ has done for you on a daily basis, here's what happens. 
the good news of Jesus and what he's done, it will drain you, continue to drain you of pride, of anger, of an unhealthy need for attention, and you will continue to grow into a person who is constantly dependent on the power of God's spirit that lives inside of you, and he will transform you more into the image of Jesus on a daily basis. So listen to me, it requires contrition, it requires humility. The law is a beautiful, beautiful thing because it points us to sin and our need for a savior. And after we experience Jesus as our savior, man, he requires us again to do some things out of our love for him. And so, man, I, I want us to close in prayer today and just pray that God would help us to do those things. So I wanna ask you, if you will, just to join me. Father, I just thank you that you are a good God. God, that you've been gracious enough to us uh, to give us a mirror to give us a way of understanding just how sinful we are, just how short we fall of being the people that you've created us to be. And we thank you, God, that you're a gracious enough God, a loving enough God to reach out to us when we reach for you. We thank you for Jesus who saves us, who makes a way for us to be loved and accepted by you. And God, I just pray this morning for anybody sitting in the room who've never place their faith in Jesus. God, I just pray you stir in their hearts. Convince them this morning of how desperately they truly need you. And I pray, God, that you would help them to believe your promise, that you sent Jesus for them, that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead so that they could experience new life and eternal life with you. God, help them to believe that promise today. Give them the faith to believe it. And God, I pray that you change them, save them, make them your people, be their God. God, for the rest of us, I just pray that you would free us up from doing certain things in the name of Jesus, God, in attempts to earn something from you. I just pray, God, that we would believe that you're a good God who loves us as your sons and daughters because we've expressed faith in Jesus. And God, I pray that everything we do on your behalf for your kingdom would be done out of a genuine and deep love for Jesus Christ. God, help us, help us. Fill us up with your spirit. Remind us of the cross every single day. And God, may those things just kill the root of sin and unhealthy attitudes in our lives so that we can truly live lives that honor you and give you glory here on the earth. God, we love you so much. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen, amen.